Okay, uh, good morning. Uh, as you know, as you've been told or, or heard, we are looking at uh, the awesome question of why does God allow pain and suffering? And, and I, I truly use that, that word awesome uh, in, in the original intent. It is, it is awful. It is awesome. It brings us to awe. Um, I don't know what you're thinking about when you think about the question of why does God allow pain and suffering? You might be thinking um, that uh, well, you, you might have some serious philosophical discussions, questions about that. Um, the, the one that's a classic philosophical uh, statement about pain and suffering is the one I think David Hume made famous, which is if uh, the argument against a belief in God based on um, the presence of evil, it's if there is a God, he's got to be all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good. And if there is a God like that, then he wouldn't allow evil. And thirdly, since there is evil, then fourthly, there is no God. That uh, you, you might have heard that argument at some point. Um, you might even think that uh, right now. Uh, that is a common sort of uh, skeptical uh, agnostic view of the presence of evil and, and presence of, of, uh, the, of belief in God. I am not going to spend time today talking about the ontological view of God or uh, of evil. I'm not going to read to you Aquinas if you want uh, to hear some rebuttals on uh, this presence of evil uh, and view some serious uh, theological and philosophical discussions, um, then I want to point you to a few people that I know are really brilliant. I know Carl Strait. He, was, he just spoke about uh, this question down at First Service Coffee this morning. Go talk to him. He's so much smarter about this stuff than I am. Go talk to him. Um, Shangwok just said that we're starting this Wednesday, we're starting uh, a Wednesday night class that Kevin is teaching, and he's going to be going through a lot of these questions as well. Uh, the question of uh, that we're doing here at Explore God, and I know in a few weeks he'll look at this question. Go talk to Kevin. He's a lot smarter than I am about these things. Uh, I know Tim Cornwell has been doing a lot of work leading the youth group through these questions as well, and they did that this morning, uh, the leading middle schoolers and high schoolers through the question of, why does God allow pain and suffering? Go talk to him. Uh, there's people that want to talk about that. The, 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 the one response I will give this morning to that classic rebuttal in belief of God from David Hume is, um, is that the skeptic who argues that God is either impotent, ignorant, or wicked, you know, impotent, he can't do anything, ignorant, he doesn't know about everything that's going on, or wicked, he sees it and knows it and just doesn't care. Um, for, that, for that person, the skeptic who argues that God is either of those three things is like the child having his bone reset at the doctor's office, saying to the parent who drove them there, you are evil. I, you are sitting here staring at me, getting my bone reset, and it hurts. This is painful, and you parents are evil for allowing this to happen. Now, we know that that's ridiculous, right? We who are parents or have ever been a kid uh, knows that that's not true. 
that the parent actually loves us enough to say, you have to go through this pain in order for you to get better. It actually would be unloving to not have you reset the arm. It is loving to say, let's go do this. Let's reset the arm. So we know that. Um, The problem with this, not problem, but sort of the, the immediate reaction that I have, and I know maybe some of you have at that illustration, is that the suffering that you and I go through most of the time is not like a broken arm. Broken arms can be mended, and we, we have answers to that. But the sufferings that you and I go through um, is suffering like sexual abuse, suffering like cancer, suffering like racism, suffering like drug addiction. These are things that are not easily answered. These are more than a broken arm, um, suffering like death. Tim Keller once said, if you're going through suffering, this is not a philosophical issue. This is a personal issue. And so what I want to do this morning is uh, I want to look at some of these questions, but I'm going to, I have three presuppositions, if you will, three facts that, uh, that I am supposing to be true, uh, that I'm putting before you that are true. And the first one is God has a plan right down here at the bottom. God has a plan. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he ordains everything that comes to pass. And that includes, number two, that plan includes our pain and suffering. And then thirdly, uh, pain and suffering affects all of us. It affects all of us. We look in the headlines and we can see there are people that suffer a lot. And then there are people in this room that are going through serious, serious suffering. Serious suffering. Spoke to someone just this past week uh, in the congregation here that received medical news that was uh, very dire. And uh, the news essentially gave this person um, years to live. Uh, that is suffering. That's true suffering. So you hear stories like that and you think, well, I I don't suffer. I don't suffer that much. I mean, you know, people are annoying to me sometimes. Um, I I go through a, a few things. But I think if we're all honest, we know that the effects of suffering hits us over and over and over again. Sometimes it's acute pain. Sometimes it's dull But every single one of us suffers. Every single one of the people that we interact with in lives suffers. Um, uh, Go to the next slide for me, please, Megan. So this past Wednesday, Jennifer Myrie, who we've we've quoted a lot before, she's a missionary, doctor, author, artist, you know, a Renaissance person. I think I even quoted her the last time I preached. She just wrote this on a blog post just this past Wednesday. Uh, And it said this, the ceasefire in Syria failed and the city of Aleppo has been pummeled in the face of sobering statistics on deaths, in the face of the article from the New York Times today, this past Wednesday, which describes the facts of this week. How can we respond? 100,000 of the 250,000 residents of Aleppo are children. They can't go to school. They can't escape. They can't hide from the volume and intensity of the bombs. 
evil presses in on multiple sides with no clear solutions. That is national, corporate, huge. But every one of us can say at some points in our lives, maybe even this morning, evil presses in on me in multiple sides and there are no clear solutions. In many ways, pain and suffering is a big question mark for us. Pain and suffering is the question mark. And I got to say, I love answers. I love answers. I go to the doctor not for more questions. I go to the doctor for answers, right? I go to the doctor to get answers. And unfortunately, pain and suffering is a big question mark in our life. Go to the next one. She, uh, Jennifer continues, this is the time for lament. Lament sees the face of those suffering and does not turn away. Lament cries out to God for mercy, for justice, without knowing exactly what that would look like. Lament acknowledges that this world is not fair, not safe, not as it should be. And lament addresses God, which is a matter of faith, of saying that in spite of Syria, we are not left alone. And so what I want to do this morning is I'm going to ask and and answer three questions. Uh, And the three questions are, what's the origin of pain and suffering? What do we do with our pain and suffering? And finally, what's the future of pain and suffering? And so the first question is, what is the origin of pain and suffering? And if you've been around the, the church long enough, if you know your Bible, the origin of pain and suffering, we read that back in Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2 paints a beautiful portrait of creation. If you know this, don't tune out. Hear this again. At the, very, at the, at the end of every day of creation... God said, it is good. He looked at everything and said, it is good. But when he created man and woman, he said, it is very good. This is great. This is wonderful. And Adam and Eve and God lived in harmony. And it was beautiful. And it was perfect. And just as as a storm comes quickly or a thief enters a home to steal, sin entered the world through the rebellion and disobedience of Adam and Eve. And from that point on, pain, death, destruction pervaded the entire world, not just mankind. It was after the fall of man that sin and death came. This was not part of creation. Sin, death, pain, suffering, they were not intended parties of the world. But because of our sin, death, pain, and suffering now live with us. When you are suffering, it is more than okay to scream, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And so we now get to uh, what I want to look at now, which is Romans 8, which I already forgot to read. Um, But Romans 8 says this, here is the scripture reading, it's in the bulletin, and it's on the screens behind me, maybe. Look at this, you guys are good. Romans eight eighteen to 30 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption 
and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The very beginning of that passage I just read is talking about creation, talking about creation, waiting for hope, waiting for this to happen. J.B. Phillips, when uh, he wrote a translation of the Bible, it's very literal. It was this was before Eugene Peterson's The Message. Um, J.B. Phillips, when he was translating this passage, wrote the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Kind of like that. Have you ever been to a parade before? And if you have kids at a parade, if there's people in front of you where you try to get the kids to like scoot in front, and what do the kids do at the barrier? They're, they're just on tippy-toe, looking, trying to get over there. I remember years ago, I, we went to New York City on Thanksgiving, and we saw the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Or at least I saw the balloons. I saw the balloons. They were up there. I could see that. Anything that was happening down here... I did not see, I, I might have seen a hat. That was it, because of the crowds. But I had little toddlers at the time, so what do I do is I take the toddlers and I put them up on my neck, and it still brings me pain to think about it, um, for standing for a long time with the kids, trying to, trying to reach, trying to see, trying to see something. Creation is just like toddlers at a parade. Hey, neutrons, neutrons, come here. I think the son of God is coming back. Hey, woodchuck, come here. Guess what? I think, mate, do you think it's today? Do you think it's today? Hey, redwood trees, do you think it's today? The creation is yearning, it's hoping, it's waiting for the son of God to come back, for Jesus to come back and fix this problem. This is what creation is doing now, what it's doing today. Pain and death and suffering are like squatters in life. We have a home that God has built and it was beautiful and perfect and we live there and then squatters came in and now they live there with us. But the problem is, is that you and I invited them in. You and I invited these squatters in and now we're stuck with them and they're there and they're mooching off of us and they're ruining everything. Pain and suffering is not part of the plan, but we invited them in. 
And so that brings us to sort of the meat of it and really the reason why we even care about this question. It's what do we do with our pain and suffering? And so I'm going to try to go as quickly as possible through what I think of as five possible reasons for pain and suffering. Now, I'll just say at the outset that I think our pain and suffering is not all five of these. You might have pain and suffering that is not all five of these, but I guarantee you it's one of them. I guarantee you it's at least one of them. And so the first one is pain and suffering. Pain wakes us up. This is one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. We can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is a megaphone to you and I. Uh, just about a month and a half ago, maybe even longer than that, one of my children started complaining of leg pain. And so me being a compassionate dad said, it's growing pain, suck it up. Right? And so day two comes by and this child says again, it still really hurts. And we're like, ah, it's fine, it's fine. Take, take some children's Advil, it'll be fine. Um, like week one goes by and she still has this pain and I don't care. Like, it's fine. It's growing pains. It's growing pains. You're just getting older. Um, and then finally, like after a month and a half, (laughs) I still would, would be going in this, but Blair was like, I, I think there might be an issue outside of growing pains. And so Blair takes this child to the doctor and the doctor says, well, actually it looks like uh, there is an issue with one of her lug mu- lug, leg muscles that's not growing the way it should be growing. Physical therapy, maybe some other things. We're still in the process of figuring that out. Um, pain alerted us to a deeper problem. Our pain and suffering, your pain and suffering, might possibly be alerting you to a deeper problem. For many of us, that is the fact that we have pain in life That's because we brought it on ourselves. We cling to pain. We love it. We actually love the way it makes us feel sometimes. I'm telling you right now, Jesus might be saying to you right now, wake up. Wake up. Your pain and suffering is not the way it's supposed to be. Stop trying to deal with it on your own and come to me, Jesus. Maybe. That's what needs to happen. That's what needs for you to hear today. The second possible purpose for pain and suffering is that it draws d- believers into a deeper solace with God. Adversity drives the Christian to the throne of grace. Now, you and I are in church. We read that. We think, amen. Let's move on to the third one. That's great. The problem is, is that usually we don't agree with that. We don't practically live that way. Um, we usually, I don't know many Hindus or Buddhists in my life, I know a few, but the, not the majority, a lot of people I know and talk to live in a world of karma light. You know, if you do bad things, bad things happen. If you do good things, good things happen, that type of thing. Um, just yesterday, I was uh, on a, a very long bike ride, the final leg of the food ride that... All of you people brought food for the food pantry to make me ride. I'm done now. 
Thanks so much. But we went on a long, it was a long bike ride. And like, and I don't know, a good distance in, someone, there was, there was a, a group of us, about six of us, someone blew a tire. And so, you know, you blew a tire, you just go to the side of the trail and you just sort of, and this person's changing his bike tire. And so, you know, I, being a comedian, I'm like, well, if anyone else is going to blow a tire, let's do it now to get it over with, right? You know, I'm just filling time. We're just standing there. Someone on the bike ride was like, oh, no, you said that. And now one of us is probably going to blow a tire. Now that you said that, we're going we're gonna to blow a tire. You know, now that you're standing up and walking out of the room, now the Redskins are, are not going to score a touchdown. Now that you're doing this, this, whatever it might be, we live in this world as if, you know, karma is the existence. And I got to tell you, karma feels good. It really does because it takes our pain and suffering and it, and it puts it in our hands. It puts it in our hands. If I'm suffering, it's my own fault. Or maybe it's my parents' fault. Or maybe it's someone else, so-and-so's fault. If we're suffering, that's happening. Or if something good happened, it's because I got up and I read my Bible early this morning. That's why something good happened. It puts it in our hands. The gospel tells you this morning the true answer is, as you face suffering and pain, draw to God because you are helpless and insufficient. Because of our helplessness and our insufficiency, the gospel is good news. And we can cry out in lament. And we have a helper in this. And uh, I read it in Romans 8 about our helper, the spirit who helps us in our weakness. And he groans too deep for words. Groaning is one of those words that needs no definition. Everyone in this room knows what groaning is. We groan when we uh, go through hard work. I usually, when I get frustrated in some small amount, I like to cry out. It really makes me feel, ah, it's so frustrating when something, so-and-so is happening, when something is happening. We all know what groaning is. We all know what groaning is. We groan as we grieve. Uh, one of the great biblical sufferers is, is the man of Job. He went through some horrible stuff, worse stuff than I think anyone in this room. He went through some horrible stuff. And he was sitting, grieving, groaning, I'm sure. And what do his friends do? He has, he's got four, four, and they were the best friends to him. And they were amazing friends to him for like a few days. They were great. And then, and then they opened their mouths and it was terrible. But for those first few days, you know what they did? They saw Job. And what did they do? They came and they tore their clothes, put ashes on their heads, and they sat down next to him, didn't say a word. I guarantee you, they might not have said a word, but they groaned. They grieved with Job. They were good friends to him. They grieved together. We do not groan alone. Like Job's friends in those first few days, we are Job, and the Holy Spirit has now put on ashes, tore, and sitting down next to us, groaning, grieving with us. The Holy Spirit, God, is grieving with us. He groans beside us. We do not groan alone. The third reason is uh, for discipline or refinement, and um, we all know what this looks like. Verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. If you are a parent, 
you know what this is. If you have ever been a child, you know what this is. When you're disciplined. When you're disciplined, it's, it's a form of pain. Uh, one thing, and I, I don't want to get into the whole thing. If you want to talk to me about corporal punishment or timeout, talk to me later about that. Um, but when we would spank a child, one common refrain that we would say is, sin hurts. When you're spanking a child, when you're disciplining, it hurts. You don't like it. Sin hurts. But you know that a good, loving father, good, loving father brings pain in order to refine us, in order to fix us, to help us. And so that one's an easy one. And that leads to the fourth in reason, uh, possible reason for pain and suffering, and probably the most important. Believers suffer so that we may share the sufferings of Christ. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In plain English, Christians suffer because Christ suffered. Christians suffer because Christ suffered. You and I suffer some horrible stuff. And I know, like I've said, there are people in this room that have suffered worse than I ever have. And there are people in Aleppo that are suffering worse than anyone else in this room has suffered. But I guarantee you one thing. No one on the face of the earth has ever suffered more than Jesus Christ. No one has ever suffered more than Jesus Christ. He was God himself and he gave up the crown. He gave up the throne and he came down here and became man in all of the glory and all of the pain and suffering. He walked in a world of sin and rebellion. And imagine this, not just a world of sin and rebellion, but a world that was sinning and rebelling against him. It's not just being out there. Oh, everyone's bad. No, everyone out there was rebelling against himself. And he's walking through this world. He lived in this world in which he created, and yet that whole world, all of us, have rejected him. And not only did every man reject him, reject him, but Christ experienced the full punishment of every believer's sin on the cross. Every believer that has ever lived, ever will live, who's here in Richmond, who's in Madagascar, every sin that, that belongs to believers was placed upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. You and I have never and will never feel that pain and that suffering. Imagine, not just that, but he was rejected by his own friends that said, no, I will never reject you. I will follow you to the ends of the earth, Jesus. And yet even those people rejected him. Even his friends rejected him. Jesus has suffered far more than you and I ever will. That is the suffering of our Lord. Um, Dorothy Sayers, mystery writer, poet, among other things, wrote this. For whatever reason God chose to make people as they are, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from us that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the, which is suffering right there. Trivial irritations of family life. 
If you talk to some of my kids, they will tell you just living with the rest of these people is suffering alone. The cramping restrictions of hard work, work for many of us is the thorns and thistles. We feel the pain of work. The lack of money, come on. That's pain and suffering. To the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it all worthwhile. You do not suffer alone. He suffered before you and he's suffering with you. Part of this that, that, that we suffer as Christ suffered so that we would prize the cost of our salvation. When we experience the adversity of the world, we begin to glimpse, even in a small way, the suffering of the Lord for our sake. Uh, and then finally, the fifth and, and final reason for pain and suffering, and this helps, helps answer the final question of what's the future of pain and suffering, is for our own perseverance. The very first verse in this passage, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Pain and suffering do not have the final word. We hope for, we long for, we yearn for the glory that is to be revealed. Like creation, you and I stand on tippy toes, maybe broken tippy toes. Maybe it might hurt as we do it, but when we're standing over the barrier looking to glory, these present sufferings, they are temporary. These present sufferings do not have the final word because that glory is incomparable. Um, put up here uh, the Revelation 21. It's that last, um, it's the very end time, the image of the new Jerusalem at the end of time. Jesus has come back and he's making this world new and he's, he's fixed it. And this is what, and we read this in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. I got to say, I love this passage. I love it. I love it. It gives me comfort. It gives me hope that there will be no tears. There will be no death. There will be no crying, no pain, no mourning, no pain, no suffering. All of that will be gone. But notice something that glory is described in the negative. Glory is described as what won't be there. We have no idea what glory will be like. And Paul is saying here in Romans 8... It is incomparable. The glory we will have, the glory that Jesus is making for us, can't even compare to the pain and suffering. And in fact, we can't even have words to describe it. We get so consumed by pain so much. I remember years ago, I had a dry socket. You know a dry socket when you get like wisdom teeth pulled out and then you just get like, oh, horrible dental pain, horrible dental pain. And I remember thinking, I can't do a thing right now. 
I am in so much pain. The only thing I can do is lay down in my bed. Please, doctor, give me more, stronger pain medication because I can't do a single thing. It hurts so much. You know, when you have that pain and suffering, that's all you can think about. That's all you can focus on. That pain is so strong and so vivid to us. Friends, believers, Christians, that pain is nothing compared to what Jesus is setting before us in the future. Pain does not have the final word. And so uh, the last thing that that I'll read to you is uh, Adam and Rachel Wilson. I've been reading this book, The Life We Never Expected. It's uh, Adam is a pastor and uh, they're married and they have at least one kid with uh, special needs. And it's a book about living with children with special needs. And I'm I'm not even halfway through. It's still the very beginning. And this was right after a, a passage in which Adam was writing, describing a night that was, it sounded horrible. A night with his boy that uh, sounded very terrible. And he wrote this, celebrating the gospel is beautiful and is good for my soul, but it doesn't make me sleep more or cry less. Until God fixes everything, I'm still waiting. And then Adam quotes, this is Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And then the watchmen, they would be on the city walls and they would be looking and they would be watching and waiting. That's what I don't know what watchmen do. Um, But he he describes this. This is Adam in in the book said, you don't get a lot of watchmen these days. I, I don't know any. But I've got a feeling they don't sit there at 3 a.m. thinking, my goodness, this night's gone on a long time. Perhaps morning's been canceled today. Maybe the earth has stopped at this particular point in orbit and the sun is never going to rise again. Watchmen wait for the morning, not because they think it's coming, but because they know it is. The night is dark, but the light always breaks. So believer, hear this word, whatever pain and suffering you are going through. And I, I, I know, I know for some of you, it is unbearable. It is terrible. And maybe you don't have that pain and suffering in your life right now. I'll tell you something. There are people in your life that are, there are people in your life that are going through unbearable pain and suffering. Friends, the sun has not stopped. The sun will rise again. There is hope. The sun is coming. And I just did S-O-N with the sun is coming. Jesus is coming. He will make everything new. He will fix everything. Believer, God knows your pain. And like Job, sit in your pain, cry out to him, and let's have the friend of the Holy Spirit sit beside us and cry with us and be and take on the pain for us. Friends, one of the best illustrations of that is what we have right behind me, and that is the Lord's Supper. This table was set at night. This table was set among people that were Jesus's friends, and then they rejected him. The first supper, the last supper, the first last supper was Jesus among friends who were about to reject him. It is proof to us that in this long trial and tribulation that we call life, 
Jesus provides. He provides food. He provides sustenance. He provides himself over and over and over again. So 